uh, at the Rio Olympics uh, in the athletics in 2016, uh, the US women's 4x100 metre relay team was the hot favourite. Uh, every one of their runners was faster than every other person in the race. So added up and they were supposed to win by a bigger margin. Uh, but they dropped the baton and they were disqualified. As it turned out, I can't remember why, they got a chance to rerun and this time they didn't drop the baton, they qualified for the final and they won the gold medal. Uh, it's the first lesson you learn when you're training for relays. I remember back when I was in little athletics. Don't drop the baton. You hold on to it. Doesn't matter how fast you are, if you drop that baton, then you're out of the race. You don't play around with it. You don't look through it like a telescope. You, you don't blow it like a trumpet. You, you hold on to the baton. You value it. Uh, and it's a similar message Paul wants to bring to the Corinthians here at the start of chapter 15. He's passed the baton on to them, a message that he calls the gospel. Now, gospel translates a word that just means good news or great announcement. Uh, for example, in sort of non-religious literature of the time, when a king won a major military victory, he'd send a servant home to take the message, and that message would be called the gospel. The king has won. There's great news. Uh, and so when the biographers of Jesus, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, when they were going to write a story about how Jesus had, had arrived, they, they chose that word, gospel, to describe this announcement. Their story was an announcement about a king. Paul heard that message, this good news about Jesus, the news about how God can forgive people's sins because of Jesus' death. And he's told the Corinthians that message and he wants them to, to value it, uh, to guard it. Uh, he says in verse 3 that, uh, that what he received he passed on to them as of first importance. Nothing matters more. He's passed it on to them and now they've got the baton and they're running with it. Uh, they're living with the truth of that message. Uh, but there's nothing more important than them valuing it. If they drop it, then they're running in vain. They're wasting their time, they're wasting their energy. To see how Paul warns them in verse 2? They're saved by it if they hold firmly to it. If they hold firmly. Why does it matter so much that they hold on to this message? Well, Paul gives them three reasons. Firstly, the gospel is a foundation on which to base your life. He says it's something to stand on. Uh, then he says that the gospel is fact. There's a historical reliability to the events of Jesus' story. You don't have to believe without using your brain. You believe based on evidence. Uh, and thirdly, he emphasises that, that there's power in the gospel. Uh, the gospel changes lives, and Paul's an example, and the Corinthians are an example too. Gospel is a foundation, the gospel is fact, and the gospel has power. So they're the three points. So firstly, the gospel is their foundation. Look there in verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. First thing, this is not new information. It's a revision lesson. Remember the good news I've already given you, is how he begins. But it's more than information. Uh, they've taken their stand on it. What does that mean? They've based their lives on it. Uh, this message Paul gave them defines who they are. 
why they exist, gives their life meaning, gives them a reason to get up in the morning. This message defines what they've left behind. It defines who they used to be. It tells them where they're headed and it tells them who one day they will become. When everything else in life is uncertain, this is the message that gives a sure, certain confidence. What do you base your life on? What do you take your stand on? The confidence Paul's talking about is not based on your good planning or your intelligence or a successful career or a big bank balance or perfect attendance at church or comparing your success to others. Those things are not worth standing on. Only the gospel message is worth standing on. It gives us a confidence before God based on Jesus' perfect work rather than our faulty work. It gives us comfort uh, knowing that we're loved and accepted by the creator of the universe. It gives us a certainty about the future as well. Uh, There's so much in life which we're uncertain about but the gospel means that we can stand firm when we trust it. Paul says we're saved because of that message. There in verse 2, it's a lifeline, it's a rescue boat. When we accept uh, Jesus' death on our behalf, when we turn from our sin, God brings us from death to life. He saves us. Uh, But Paul adds a word of caution. Uh, You've received it, you've stood firm on it, but you have to keep receiving it. You have to keep holding on to it. He says in verse 2, By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. Imagine you're at the beach. Uh, you need rescuing. The lifeguard throws out the, the life buoy to you and you hold on to it and he starts to pull you in with the rope. But then just imagine you start looking around and you see the other beachgoers pointing, pointing out at you and you think, oh, I think I can do this on my own now. I'm just going to let it go and try and make my way in. Well, that would be foolish, wouldn't it, if you are out of your depth and if you were still stuck, you'd end up drowning, you'd sink. You may as well have just not bothered picking up the, the lifeguard out, uh, out at sea. You're wasting everybody's time. Or to go back to the athletic picture we began with. It's no good taking the baton from Paul then starting to run and dropping it. If you drop it, then you've run in vain. You've wasted your energy. You've let go of the gospel. And we need to make sure that none of us do that, that we let go of the gospel. Have a look around you. There's, what, 30, 35 people here It's pretty likely that in 10 years' time there'll be at least a couple of people, maybe more, who are here tonight who won't be attending church anymore and who won't call themselves Christian. It's pretty likely. It won't be an overnight thing. They won't suddenly stop believing in God. They'll just sort of gradually drift away. The Bible will stay on the shelf. It'll get dustier. They'll they'll pull it down and it won't really mean anything to them. It's not very interesting, so they stick it back up again. They'll pray, but it feels like the prayers just don't go past the roof and so they won't pray again. They'll turn up to church. It's been a month. 
No one says hello or welcomes them back, and so it's three months until they come back again. Uh, and before they know it, they've just sort of turned their back on it, and other stuff becomes more important. Let's make sure that doesn't happen to yourself, but also to the people around. Uh, we need to hold on to the gospel so that we don't believe in vain. Well, so uh, what is it that the Corinthians have to hold on to? What, what are the, what's this information, this, this gospel? What are the gospel facts? Well, as Paul thinks about it, uh, it's all centred on one person. It's all centred on Jesus. So there in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. So there's two big events we have to believe in, that the two crucial facts, Christ died, Christ was raised. If Christ didn't die for our sins, then there's no basis for us to be forgiven. We, we would just be guilty and headed for judgment. And if Christ wasn't raised, then we'd have no confidence that Jesus' death had achieved what he promised, that he'd actually beaten sin and death. We'd have no reason to hope for anything beyond the grave, beyond our own death. Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, believing those two facts are what it means to take your stand on the gospel, to hold firmly to the word that's preached. Paul's point is that those two facts are reliable and they're trustworthy. And he gives us three reasons why. Uh, Those facts about Jesus are trustworthy. Firstly, because Paul as a messenger is trustworthy. Secondly, the plan itself is trustworthy and the witnesses are trustworthy. So to begin with, Paul himself is a trustworthy messenger. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you. He took the baton and he passed it on. He kept it safe. He didn't drop it. He didn't change it. He didn't dilute it. He didn't add anything to it. It's like the difference between the the scratchy old ADSL copper internet that has all this dirty signal and a nice brand new optic fibre that gives you a really good internet. That's what Paul's like. He's saying that message, he received it and he passed it on. What about you? Uh, Is that what you're like? Are you like the optic fibre or are you the old copper cable? Are you committed to passing on what someone told you? Because someone did share the gospel with you. If you're here in church, someone told you about Jesus. Perhaps it was a parent or a Sunday school teacher or a youth group leader or a scripture teacher or a friend or a work colleague. They were faithful. How are you going at being faithful at passing on that baton? Do your friends and workmates know that you are a Christian? Are you consistently looking for an opportunity to speak about Jesus? Not preaching, uh, but just looking for the chance to speak a word of wisdom with grace and love into a conversation. Do you pray for those people around you who don't know Jesus? Uh, Prayer shows how committed you are to being able to pass on the baton that someone gave to you. Paul was committed. There was no fuzziness, no confused logic. It was clear. Uh, That's the first reason the gospel facts are trustworthy. Second reason, uh, the trustworthy plan. Uh, Look at verses 3 and 4. And it's sort of, the way I read it sort of, I think, uh, helps us understand the structure. Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures, he was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared. Uh, Firstly, Christ died, and then there are two pieces of support for that fact, according to the scriptures, and he was buried. And then the second fact, he was raised, once again, two pieces of support, according to the scriptures, and he appeared. So the gospel facts are trustworthy. We can trust them because they're part of a trustworthy plan. Uh, They both happened according to the scriptures. God planned these things. He knew what was going to happen. It was no plan B. Uh, It wasn't the result of the Pharisees scheming or the Romans' law and order policy or Judas's greed or even Satan's cunning. Uh, Things didn't just work out God wasn't just looking round, what can I do, what can I do? It all happened according to the scriptures. Uh, And Paul's third point, uh, it's a trustworthy message because of trustworthy witnesses. So firstly, witnesses to his death, uh, we're told Christ died and was was buried. Uh, You don't bury someone unless they're dead. The the Romans were experts at killing. They were not going to bury someone who was simply unconscious. They were reliable witnesses. And the Pharisees, they were there too. You can bet they made sure Jesus' body was in the tomb and he was dead. Matthew's Gospel tells us they made sure Pilate put some extra guards in front of the tomb to stop the disciples stealing the body. So the the Jewish leaders were reliable witnesses as well, especially since they were unfriendly rather than friendly. Uh, They were in no doubt Jesus died. And then there's the witnesses for the, for the resurrection. Notice how Paul says Jesus was raised and he appeared. Uh, look at how Paul goes on describing those witnesses. After he was raised, he appeared to Peter, then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. A whole range of witnesses, individuals, groups, people they knew, people they respected and people they didn't know but who were still alive so they could actually ask them. And, uh, and by appearing to more than 500 people at once, uh, there's no way that this was just uh, wishful thinking or some grief-stricken hysteria by one person. You, you couldn't bribe 500 people or, or fool 500 people. This was a trustworthy group of witnesses who saw Jesus resurrected. And notice how Paul finally includes himself in the group. Verse 7, last of all, he appeared to me also. A personal recommendation is the best sort of recommendation. I'd much rather use a tradesman who is recommended by one person I know rather than ten random people I've never heard of. You look at a website and it says, oh, I really like the service from Jim of some suburb and you think, look, they just made that up. That's not a real person, surely. But if one of my friends says, use this guy, he's really good. And that's what it's like with Jesus, isn't it? Uh, Do you personally recommend Jesus to other people? Uh, Does he work for you? Uh, Does he make a difference in your life? Can people see that? Uh, They're not going to believe what you say uh, if your life is not reflecting that. Who you are speaks louder than what you say. Uh, People are more interested in whether something works than necessarily whether it's true or not. 
So let me ask you, does following Jesus work for you? Can friends see your joy and your hope and your love? A personal witness is trustworthy. Paul says Jesus works for him. He goes on to describe it, how Jesus has made a difference in his life. Even though he had just as much right to be called an apostle, he recognises he doesn't deserve it. Verse 9, I'm the least of the apostles, don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's the old Paul. But now he goes on to describe what changed and how. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. God made him who he was. God made him a persecutor and then God chose him and gave him a new task to be an apostle, to be a church builder rather than a church destroyer. What a powerful witness. Uh, And that's a great thing that you can bring as well. Uh, Now, we talk about the, 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 uh, the Damascus Road experience and, and we say that's, like Paul's probably got the, the best testimony ever, doesn't he? It's, it's hard to imagine anyone having a better testimony and we sometimes think, oh, I've just got a bit of a boring testimony. That's okay. You, you've changed. God's done work in your life and uh, people need to hear how, uh, how Jesus is real because he's working in you. Paul goes on to talk about how God's grace didn't just stop at his conversion, but it kept producing change in his life. Uh, Look there in the second half of verse 10. His grace to me was not without effect, or it it didn't prove to be in vain, some other translations have. God continued to work in Paul, to to use him. Uh, He was an instrument uh, for the Corinthians themselves, uh, believing But notice it wasn't all just God working through Paul like a a puppet. Uh, Paul worked hard in partnership with God. The gospel was powerful and effective, but Paul still worked hard as well. Uh, Notice verse 10. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Uh, The Christian life is a wonderful balance. Uh, We work hard with all the energy that God gives, but he is at work through his spirit and through the message of the gospel. Uh, We need to keep both those things together. Uh, When things get tough, we we can fall either one way or the other. We can make two mistakes. We We can rely too much on our own efforts and we can worry and we can work ourselves into the ground. Uh, It's a bit like uh, anyone, you hop into a canoe and you think, oh, I've forgotten my paddle. I'll just step out of the canoe back onto the deck. What what happens when you try and push off the canoe? You, You just end up getting further away, don't you? Or you fall in the middle and don't make it. Trying to do all this work on your own is like trying to push the canoe back. You can't make any progress. You need the wind of God's spirit to, to blow you back. Both of those things need to work in the Christian life. We, we need to be working hard. God's spirit, God's word works in us as well. Prayer is a good litmus test for how much you're relying on God to be at work. How much are you praying and how much are you doing if you're not praying, then maybe you're leaning too much to the, to the doing rather than depending on God to be at work in you and through you. Some people can go too far the other way and just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, God's in control. He'll do it anyway. He'll convert that person even without me. 
saying anything. But that's a mistake too, isn't it? Paul worked hard as God worked in him. God achieves his purposes when we work hard and he works through us and he receives the glory. So let's make sure we do both. Let's commit ourselves to praying and to working hard. Like Paul, the gospel is powerful, it changes people. The facts of the gospel are trustworthy. Let's make sure we stand firm in them and we encourage each other to stand firm and not to give up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you will help us uh, to be confident in in these truths. Uh, We thank you that uh, the the Christian faith is not one about uh, leaving our brains behind and uh, just uh, having to trust despite uh, the evidence. We we thank you that you give us uh, reliable uh, reasons for us to believe the truths of Jesus. We pray for any uh, here who, who are not sure about that. We pray that you'd help them to, to see the truth. You'd help us uh, to share with them the truths about Jesus and uh, to share something of our confidence and why we're confident so that they too might have that confidence and be able to stand firm uh, knowing that their sins are forgiven, their past is behind them and uh, that they have a sure eternity and uh, a hope and forgiveness with you. Uh, Nothing matters more. And so we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.